Oh, good morning. Um, first thing I want to do this morning, how many of you had a week where you kind of got sludged? You know what I mean by that? Just you felt like you got a little slimed. Um, I, want to, I just want to pray for us this morning and pray some of that junk off of us in the Spirit so that we can continue to see God's presence clearly and be aware of Him. Can we do that this morning? Is that okay? So, Lord, we thank you first and foremost that you are God and you are good. Before you do anything, you are good. It's who you are. Lord, life has lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of places where uh, we can get hit pretty hard by life and feel uh, pretty slimed. So if, if that's some of us this morning... I ask in Jesus' name, through the power of your blood and your Holy Spirit, that you would remove that junk off our spirit now in Jesus' name. That you would wash us clean by the purity of your presence. But that in it we would see you, we would continue to cling to you, that the stuff that challenges us, sometimes hurts, would not drive us away from you, but deeper into your embrace and into a deeper sense of trust that you'd have your way. A deeper sense of forgiveness that we continue to forgive others and extend them grace and mercy. So we pray your truth and breakthrough into our lives this morning. And this is uh, your time. It's always your time. Uh, so we simply say, uh, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Anyone feel a little lighter? Yeah, I could feel that in my own heart. How many of you have a routine? Right? We all have routines. How many really like your routine? It's your routine. How many have gotten really comfortable in that routine? Okay. How many get annoyed when it's just moved around a little bit you feel the annoyance how do you feel when it's completely blown up oh and it might be good but it doesn't feel good okay all right believe it or not I know I I, I bounce around like a tennis ball um, and it looks like that I probably wouldn't have a routine I do have a routine and mine got blown up this week and normally what I do for uh, Sunday morning is that, on, and, and I'm letting you in here, okay? I'm letting you in. Um, on, a, on a Monday morning, I will go over my passage or whatever I feel the Lord putting on my heart, and then I leave it alone. And I ask the Lord, what do he wants to say? And then I just live life, and I stay aware of how that's going to poke and prod at me. <laughs> how many have experienced that? <laughs> and you feel God's presence, and so... Uh, then I come in on a Sunday morning and I'll read through the passage again and then I'll sit here and ask the Lord what he wants to say, not knowing what he wants to say and we'll come up and then we'll do our thing. So on Wednesday, I got the message fully formed and I panicked. I never get what I'm going to preach on fully formed or at least what I would call fully formed. And so I panicked. I went, oh my goodness. This is going to be horrible. It's messing with my routine. 
right? It's not what I'm used to. It was something I, would, I didn't put value in, in a way, because it's not what I do. How many experience that? So you have your routine, and you pay less attention to maybe other things and give them lesser value because it's not necessarily what you do. And then when we are thrusted into that reality, we kind of panic because, wait a minute, where'd my routine go? Ah, where, what do I hold on to? And, and Mark, I heard, did a fantastic message last week on the, the wedding in Canaan in, in John chapter 2. And he was discussing gaps and that God can fill in those gaps. Can he not? No matter how big they are, those jugs that were holding wine were enormous. And Jesus did something there. And it was miraculous. It's one of the first we see. And so for us, when we're out of sync with what's normal for us, it can create a feeling of a gap, can it not? Where do I, how do I get back to the wall? I, my, I took my kids swimming on Friday, and I'm watching Gracie jump in. She doesn't know how to swim quite yet. And as soon as she would jump in the water, she loves going to the bottom back up, but she can't really swim. And she, I mean, as soon as she'd pop up, where's the wall? Because right? that gap, she doesn't want to be too far. Where's the wall? Where's my security? And those routines can be that security. And so I was finding God messing with that. And so this morning, I'm gonna, I, I want to share with you what he shared with me. This week, and we're going to see where he takes us. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to John chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12. Now, as best you can, I'm going to read this one time. You can read along with me. Then I'm going to read it another time, and I just want you to close your eyes or do whatever you do that you can picture the scene. Is that pretty clear? I'm going to read it twice. The first time, you can follow along. You can do whatever you want to do. The second time, I want you to try and picture the scene. Pay attention to key words that stick out to you. Um, what you might be feeling if you were there. Okay, anything. Use your imagination a little bit. But we want you to step into this passage. And then I'm going to ask you at the end, what did you notice? Is that pretty clear? Okay. So, starting in verse 12... Jesus was just at this wedding where he performs this miracle of turning water into wine. And we're here in verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all, and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, 
and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Okay, that's kind of a lot. I'm going to take a breath. And now I just want you to relax. I'm going to read it again. What do you notice? So, Lord, what do you want us to see in your word this morning? And if you want to look long, you can, but I want you to, again, pay attention to what you're hearing and feeling. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of Jesus, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. All right. How many heard some different things the second time that they didn't pick up the first time? Anybody? Okay, good, good. So what did you notice? Righteous anger. How many would throw your hat in that ring? That's true. How many would? Okay, you noticed that. What else? Okay, the contrast of being with his family and then stepping into the temple. Okay, what else did you notice? Or feel? Chaos. Did anyone personally start getting angry? Anybody? A little bit? Oh. What else did you see? There's a lot to see here. What else did you notice? Not, no respect for God's house. Yep. What else? Upsetting the normal order of things. Yeah. Yeah, and what authority? Who are you? Yeah. And Jesus seems pretty settled in who he is, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. These are all true things. And what we want to do this morning is unearth a few more things that sometimes we don't know and we don't notice. And it's important that we pick out some of these things today because they have to do with one, how we see God, two, how we see ourselves, and three, how we see others. So how we see him how we see ourselves, and how we see others. 
So when we have this passage, I grew up seeing this passage thinking only, really, give or take, but only about God's righteous anger. They made him mad. He came in and showed that he can move some furniture. You know, he can be upset. And I remember going, well, if Jesus can be upset, then I can be upset about stuff. I took that an unhealthy route. <laughs> How many have done that with this passage? You go, and then someone goes, why are you so angry? And you go, it's righteous anger. Just be glad I didn't whip you. And so sometimes we can take that a little too far than where it's meant to go. Now, here's what I want to share with you what I felt the Lord draw me to when I was looking at this. It was one of those days, um, I was going to, it was about halfway through the day, no, three quarters of the way through the day, I was going to go get some space and pray. And I start leaving the building and the Lord says, turn around, go back. So I turn around and come back and I open this passage. And here's some things I notice. When you have this temple, the temple had two kind of, it was more squared shape, but let's just, I'm going to just say rings for the the sake of this morning, you had the inner temple and you had the outer temple, all a part of the temple. So the outer part is still the temple, okay? But the inner part, that's where the Jews would worship. The Jews would worship in the inner temple. It was sacred. Now, when I used to read this passage, I used to think that all that money changing and all that stuff happened in the inner temple, it did not. It happened in the outer temple. And this was in preparation. This is in preparation for the Passover. And so we hear that there's sheep, there's cattle, there's doves, there's money being exchanged. This was not unusual. Where it was taking place was a little unusual because normally it would take place outside of the temple walls. And during Passover, there would be families coming from all over, long distances, and they couldn't bring sacrifices to make that journey. So, people that wanted to make a buck, what would they do? They would sell animals to be sacrificed at the Passover celebration. So you have, you have this marketplace that was not abnormal to have because people would come from all over to buy this stuff. But here is what is so fascinating and for me continues to transform with ever-increasing glory my image of God and my picture of God. Is that the outer part of the temple was meant for God-fearing Gentiles to worship God. Now think about that for a second. What did Jesus do? If that marketplace is with the Gentiles... What did Jesus model there? What did he show us? Because here we see that there's, in verse 20, we see that there is a distinction that there are more than one people group there. The Jews responded to Jesus, which means what? There's other people there as well. The Gentiles. And Jesus didn't drive out from the inner temple. He drove out from the outer temple where we would say, Jews would say, Gentiles have no value. They didn't like the Gentiles at all. Gentiles had no status in the Jewish community. Women didn't. Children didn't. 
And so Gentiles were the low, the low for the Jews. And so guess what they did? They brought their marketplaces into their area of the temple of worship. And Jesus wasn't going to have anything to do with that. Think about that for a second. He is messing with the routine. Hugely messing with the routine. He is disrupting the way of life for the Jews as they know it. He's teaching truth. He's showing miracles. He's doing all this stuff that is creating a frenzy amongst the Jewish leaders, amongst the Pharisees. They, wanna, they can't deny that there's truth and that he's a prophet, but then he's got this authority and they want to somehow dismantle all this because it's outside their routine. It is something that causes them a discomfort and they don't know what to do. And so we saw what their response is. He's persecuted and he's put on the cross. But what we see here, if we look closely, is that anyone that would come to the Father is welcome. Doesn't matter your baggage, your previous decisions, your ethnicity, your culture, none of that matters. What you think about yourself, if we are willing to come to the Father, he will receive you with all that you have, including your baggage. So much so, he went to the outer temple and made a statement. See, too often we think it's just about his anger. No, yeah, he was angry. Why? Because these, these people, this marketplace was trampling on that which was sacred, and the Jews would say it wasn't because it was the Gentiles. And Jesus basically says this, I'm going to die for them as much as I am you. Because he says this statement about the temple. You destroy it. And what does he say? I'll raise it up in three days. And they go, wow, you can't do that. They take this at face value. You can't do that. This was built in 46 years. Well, what's a greater miracle? Coming back to life from the dead or rebuilding something that took 46 years and do that in three days. What's more believable? The building project? Yeah, would you say? So he does something even deeper and further and more miraculous than what even the Jews could think of. And then he says, I will rebuild it in three days, which he does. And the disciples remember it and they go, ah, ah. Oh, I get it now. Totally get it now. But that whole statement from, and that whole scene from him tipping everything over and getting upset has to do with his love for all people. Because he's saying this in front of the Gentiles too. He's saying that I, this temple is going to be torn down. And I'm going to bring it back in three days' time. And then when they look back, they'll say, they did it for him, them. Those who were on the outskirts, those who had no value, he died for them and loved them just as much as he loved those people in worshiping in the inner temple. It's a beautiful picture that Jesus just wants you. And nothing, nothing is going to separate us from that love. He said, no way, these marketplaces are not going to keep these Gentiles 
from worshiping and coming to the Father. I won't allow it. Not on my watch. No way. And when he died and he raised again, everything changed. In human history, everything changed. How often in our own lives do we maybe not pay attention to certain things that God cares about because we would dismiss them as not having high enough value? How many have done that in your life? This is, you know, we've done the good work and we've shown exegetically what's going on here. But what does that look like in everyday life for you and I? Well, I'll show you how significant this can be in the things that we feel are insignificant. I was leaving for work and getting, those of you, I mean, you know the kid hustle in the morning to try and get kids to school, then you get work on time and you're trying to do all of that. And my youngest is sitting in her high chair and she has this thing where as soon as she hears the word goodbye, she puckers up like this. She's ready for a little goodbye smooch. And so I say, goodbye, Finn. She goes, mm. So I walk from, it's about, I don't know, 15, 20 feet from one side of the house to the other. And then she goes, mm, and doesn't give me one. She's teasing me. She's playing. She's having fun. And then I'm like, I got to go. I can't keep. So I, I go like this, and I hear, Daddy. Mm. And then I'm like, ah. And I start walking halfway. I, I got to go to work. And I go to work. Ah. Now, why is this significant when you're talking about Jesus raising from the dead and all of this? Because he loves not only every person, but all of you and values relationship above all things. And I gave up a moment so that I could fulfill a responsibility, which is good, which is good. But I had to realize that there was something on the outer part of the temple in my spirit that I was ignoring and saying, I don't have time for that. It's not as much value. And I let things trample on that. And I miss what God has given me. That's just one example. Now I'm like, I'm going to stay there until I get my kiss. That's what phones are for. I'm going to be five minutes late. But how much we miss in our own lives because we dismiss it as saying it doesn't have as much value. We'll say, mm, maybe it does have some value, but not as much value. But Jesus is going, whoa, no, it has great value because it's not a piece. It's still a part of the whole. It's not to itself. It's not separate. That outer temple was still the temple. And he demonstrated that. It wasn't a lesser piece. It was part of the whole shebang. And Jesus says this, the church is what? The body of Christ. And Jesus is the what? The head. And our body is called the temple of God. And so the church itself is the temple and Jesus is the head. And so we cannot say that this has no value or this has lesser value. If it's his, it has the greatest of value. And he doesn't want us to miss those things. I am noticing in my own life through major error, trial and error, 
the little things that are even more significant than the things I thought were the biggest. And it's shaking how me personally, I'm being honest with you, approaching ministry, approaching church, approaching life in Him. It's meant to shake up these routines we built. Don't get me wrong, routines are good for the most part. But you get my meaning. I loved that my routine was switched up this week. It didn't feel good at first. But I saw the value in it. And Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. Amen? Do we allow him to do that? Do we allow him to take us to those places in our own hearts, those outer places, and say, whoa, I want you to camp here. I want to clean this out. I want a clean house. I want to clear the way. And I want you to camp here and see that I love this just as much as I love this. Man, it's been even just in six days, it's been changing the way I see my kids, the way I see my wife, the way I see relationship with Jesus. I don't have it figured out, but I'm more aware. And real transformation starts with awareness. And Jesus in that day was making everyone, putting everyone on notice. It was not solely about his anger. It was about what got him to that point of anger. You're, dimi- you're dismissing, I mean, yeah, you, you, are, you are making God's house a mockery. But where you're doing it, you're saying you're dismissing these people. And I'm going to show you, I will destroy this temple for them just as much as I will you. And I'll raise it up for them just as much as you. Is that not a good God? That gives me hope for the corners of my mind that I don't want even God to be in because of how filthy it feels. We all have those places. We don't want to go there. We don't want to think there. We don't want to visit there. But God still receives us even with those places and then transforms it and flips it on its head and puts everything in us on notice. That's encouraging to me. (laughs) So my prayer, um, as we continue through the Gospel of John, which is already, is it wrecking anyone else other than me? Am I alone in this? When I say wrecking, it's, it's convicting me. It's turning me inside out. And my hope and prayer is that we would continue to be more aware than we were the day before. Because, yes, we want to be with Jesus. That's number one. Be with him. But out of that comes the things he wants us to do with him and change and transform. But we have to be aware. We have to be more aware than we were the day before so we can go where he goes and do what he wants us to do. Because he's leading us there. So him clearing out that temple, him making a statement, of his love and his grace for all people, no matter their baggage, that is encouragement. We have a good, good God. And I would also pray that you would let that picture, that presence, his presence 
infiltrate those places in your mind you don't even want to admit you go, let alone let him in there. And give him an invitation and watch him clear the way so that you can be aware and transformed and see how much he loves you even in the midst of those dark places. You're welcome in his embrace if we would only be aware and continue to seek. We're told, seek and you shall find. What do you think you're going to find? You're going to be ambushed by the love of God. And it will transform and flip your routine. So, God is good. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that a glimpse of you will stop us in our tracks. I thank you that even when you're angry, it's always to draw us closer to you, not drive us away. I thank you that with every step we take towards you, no matter our history and our resume, it's holy ground because you're there. And you invite us into your temple, into your heart. And no matter how long we've walked with you or what, how much we think we know about you, there's always more to experience. So I, I ask in Jesus' name that we would each day approach you as uh, eager children wanting to be close and learn and grow and be with. And that you protect us from becoming um, numb because we've done this for so long or, or protect us from our own pride from saying, well, you know, I want to learn more mature things or I know so much. I've led 50 Bible studies. I've, whatever it may be, I pray, Jesus, that we would see you and you alone and we would approach you with the innocence and the eagerness and the joy of a child and allow you to have your way and that we would not allow our junk to create fear in such a way that we don't invite you in or we don't seek. So I pray where some of us may need courage, Lord, I bless us with the courage of your heart and your spirit. I pray that we would continue to walk with you um, as individuals, but also as a congregation, as a family. And we would allow you to lead us. And we'd be excited about every moment. So we pray your blessing over this time that we would continue this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. And if there's anything I've said that's not of you, would you remove those things from our hearts and only plant deeply that which you want us to know, receive, and be transformed by? We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
us. Lord, we just want to listen to you. We want to hear that still, small voice. You be the leader, Lord. We want to follow after you. And you go before I know that you've even gone to win my war you come back with the head of my enemy you come back and you call it my victory
back together You are the defender of my heart When I thought I lost me You knew where I left me You reintroduced me to your love You picked up all my pieces Put me back together You are the defender of my Alone. 